Welcome to our podcast. I am Linda Messer. My husband Ron and I invite you to join us in our weekly broadcast of A New Voice of Freedom. Welcome to Season 4 of A New Voice of Freedom, written by Ronald Keith Messer. This podcast is part of a series we call Poets' Corner, an appendage to a series of books written under the banner of In Defense of Christianity. This segment is from Edmund Spencer's The Fairy Queen, Book 1, Canto 4, Episode 10, Podcast 116, is entitled the seven deadly sins. Duessa is at home in the house of pride. However, the goodly Red Cross Knight sees only vanity. Goodly they all that night do entertain right glad with him to have increased their crew. But to Duess, each one himself did pay all kindness and fair courtesy to show. For in that court, while her they well knew, Yet the stout fairy amongst the midst crowd thought all their glory vain in nightly view, and that great princess too exceeding proud, that too strange knight no better countenance allowed. Lucifera, who overlooks the crowd, suddenly rises up and calls for her coach. Everyone stops and looks with admiration at her, for they see the impostor as a great queen. The seven deadly sins, sloth, gluttony, lust, greed, envy, and wrath are often pitted against the seven cardinal virtues, chastity, temperance, charity, diligence, patience, kindness, and humility. What artists have done in painting the seven deadly sins, Spencer has done in vivid poetic imagery. Lucifera, wife of Lucifer, symbolizing pride accompanied by Duessa, duplicity, leads the parade, her carriage pulled by peacocks. She is followed by sloth riding on a mule, gluttony riding on a swine, lust riding on a goat, greed riding on a camel, envy riding on a wolf, and wrath riding on a lion. The animals fit the sand. Driving the parade is Satan with a long whip in his hand. They parade through the streets of the House of Pride, cheered on by thousands of admirers. The entire scene represents the world and the natural man. Suddenly apprises from her stately place the royal dame, and for her coach did call. All hurtled forth, and she with princely pace as fair Aurora in her purple pal. Out of the east the dawning day doth call. So forth she comes with brightness broad does blaze. The heaps of people thronging in the hall do ride each other upon her to gaze. Her glorious glittering light doth all men's eyes amaze. Lucifera climbs upon her coach adorned with flowers. Her coach is drawn by peacocks, symbolizing her glorious vanity. So forth she comes, and to her coach doth climb, adorned all with golden garlands gay that seemed as fresh as Flora in her prime, and strove to match, in royal rich array, great Juno's golden chair the which they say the gods stand gazing on. When she doth ride to Jove's high house through heaven's brass paved way, drawn 
of fair peacocks that excel in pride and full of Argus eyes, their tails dispreading wide. The six other deadly sins are her counselors. They ride on unequal beasts that symbolize their sins. Immediately behind pride is idleness, who rides on a slothful mule. Spencer calls idleness the nurse of sin. It is the synonym for sloth. But this was drawn of six unequal beasts on which her six sage counselors did ride. Taught to obey their bestial behests with like conditions to their kinds applied. Of which the first, that all the rest did guide, was sluggish idleness, the nurse of sin. Upon a slothful ass he chose to ride, arrayed in habit black, and amiss thin like to an holy monk the service to begin. Idleness dressed like a monk carries the holy scriptures with him, but doesn't read them. Idleness, though he appears sanctimonious, is a hypocrite and does not care for religion. He sleeps most of his time. And in his hand his portents still he bear, that much was worn, but therein little read, for of devotion he had little care. Still drowned in sleep, and most of his days dead, scarce could he once uphold his heavy head to lookin' whether it were night or day. May seem the wane was very evil led when such an one had guiding of the way that knew not whether right he went or else astray. Furthermore, idleness ignores worldly cares, avoids exercise and work, and spends his life in riotous living. He is constantly ill. From worldly cares himself he did his slone and greatly shunned manly exercise. From every work he challenged exemptions for contemplation's sake. Yet otherwise his life he led in lawless riots by which he grew to grievous malady. For in his lustless limbs through evil guise a shaking fever reigned continually. Such one was idleness, first of this company. Following idleness is gluttony, riding on a swine. Gluttony is deformed and spends his time in gormandizing while poor people starve. He is detested by everyone. And by his side rode loathsome gluttony, deformed creature on a filthy swine. His belly was upblown with luxury, and eke with fatness swollen were his eyne. And like a crane, his neck was long and fine, with which he swallowed up excessive feast, for want whereof poor people oft did pine. And all the way, most like a brutish beast, he spewed up his gorge that all did him detest. Gluttony is so obese, he suffers from heat and sweats profusely, but eats constantly and drinks voraciously, and revels in drunkenness. In green vine leaves he was fitly clad, for other clothes he could not wear for heat, and on his head an ivy garland had, from under which fat trickled down to sweat. Still as he rode, he somewhat still did eat, and in his hand did bear a boozing can, of which he supped so oft, that on his seat his drunken course he Scarce a polden can, in shape and life, more like a monster than a man.
As a consequence of his unhealthy diet, gluttony is full of diseases. Unfit he was for any worldly thing, and eke unable once to stir or go. Not meet to be of counsel to a king, whose mind in meat and drink was drowned so, that from his friend he seldom knew his foe. Full of diseases was his carcass bow, and a dry dropsy through his flesh did flow, which by mid-diet daily greater grew. Such one was gluttony, the second of that crew. Following gluttony is luxury, which of course is the synonym of lust. He rides on a goat. Luxury is filthy and disgusting, but is still attractive to women. And next to him rode lustful lechery upon a bearded goat, whose rugged hair and wally eyes, the sign of jealousy, was like the person's self whom he did bear who rough and black and filthy did appear, unseemingly man to please fair ladies' eyes, yet he of ladies oft was loved dear, when fairer faces were bidden standin' by. Oh, who does know the bent of woman's fantasy? Lecture hides his filthness under his fancy clothes, but he is filled with vanity and fickleness. He is false and subtle. He is addicted to pornography. In a green gown he clothed was full fair, which underneath did hide his filthiness, and in his hand a burning heart he bare. Full of vain follies and new-fangledness, for he was false and fraught with fickleness, and learned how to love with secret looks, and well could dance, and sing with rulefulness, and fortune tell, and reading in loving books and thousand other ways to bait his fleshy hooks. Furthermore, luxury, also known as lust, is inconstant in lust after other women, even when proclaiming his love to one. He preyed on women who were weak. Inconstant man that loved all he saw and lusted after all that he did love. Nee would he looser life be tied to law but joyed weak women's hearts to tempt and prove. If from their loyal loves he might them move, which lewdness filled him with reproachful pain of that foul evil which all men reprove, that rots the marrow and consumes the brain, such one was lechery, the third of all this train. Following lechery his avarice, also called greed riding on a camel. His camel is laden with gold and other precious metals. He sold his soul for money. He did not discern between good and evil or right and wrong. And greedy avarice by him did ride upon a camel loaden all with gold. Two iron coffers hung on either side with precious metal full as they might hold. And in his lap an heap of coin he told. For of his wicked pelf his God he made, and unto hell himself for money sold. A cursed usury was all his trade, and right and wrong like an equal balance weighed. Avarice cared only for money. He wore threadbare clothes and old shoes. He ate little and was always near death. He had no family or friends to inherit his wealth, yet he spent all of his time accumulating money. His life was nigh unto death's story plast, 
and threadbare coat and cobbled shoes he wore. Ne scarce good morsel all his life did taste, but both from back and belly still did spare to fill his bags and riches to compare. Yet child ne kinsman living had he none to leave them to, but through daily care to get, and nightly fear to lose his own, he led a wretched life unto himself unknown. Greed was miserable and never satisfied. He was crippled with gout. His skin was inflamed. He couldn't stand up. He couldn't touch anything. He couldn't go anywhere. He was no more than a vegetable. Most wretched white, whom nothing might suffice, whose greedy lust did lack in greatest store, whose need had end, but no end covetous, whose wealth was want, whose plenty made him poor, who had enough, yet wished evermore. A vile disease, and eke in foot and hand, a grievous gout tormented him full score, that well he could not touch, nor go, nor stand. Such one was avarice, the fourth of this fair band. Following greed came envy riding on a wolf. He was filled with poison. Other people's wealth made him miserable, and he hated anything that was good. He was only happy when others were miserable. And next to him malicious envy rode upon a ravenous wolf, and still did chop between his cankered teeth a venomous toad that all the poison ran about his jaw, but inwardly he chawed his own maw at neighbor's wealth that made him ever sad. For death it was when any good he saw and wept, that caused of weeping none he had, but when he heard of harm, he waxed wondrous glad. Envy's clothes were faded and painted full of envious eyes, symbolizing how he envied everyone he saw. A snake curled around his breast, his ugly head ever raised. He coveted everyone's wealth and hated others' happiness. All in a kirtle of discolored say he clothed was, painted full of eyes, and in his bosom secretly there lay an hateful snake, the which his tails uptights in many folds, and mortal sting implies. Still he rode, he gnashed his teeth to see those heaps of gold with gripple covetous, and grudged at the great felicity of proud Lucifera and his own company. Envy hated goodness and virtue. He never gives charity and criticizes anyone who has fame or renown. He hated all good works and virtuous deeds, and him no less that any like did use, and who with gracious bread the hungry feeds. His alms, for want of faith, he doth accuse, so every good to bad he doth abuse. And eke the verse of famous poet's wit he does backbite, and spiteful poison spew from leprous mouth on all that ever writ. Such one vile envy was, the fifth in row did sit. Behind envy came wrath riding on a lion. His whip is a burning brand, and his eyes spark fire. And him beside rides fierce, revenging wrath upon a lion, loath for to be led, and in his hand a burning brand he hath, the which he brandisheth about his head. His eyes did hurl forth sparkles fiery red, 
and stared stern on all that him beheld, as ashes pale of hue and seeming dead, and on his dagger still his hand he held trembling through hasty rage when color in him swelled. Wrath, who had no respect for life, is dressed in coarse, blood-stained garments. He had no self-government, nor did he care about those he murdered. He vented his anger on anyone. After taking vengeance, he often felt some remorse, but it meant nothing when the heat of hatred and anger came over him again. His ruffian raiment all was stained with blood which he had spilt, and all two rags rent through unadvised rashness waxen wood, for of his hands he had no government, ne cared for blood in his avengement. But when his furious fit was overpast, his cruel facts he often would repent. Yet willful man, he never would forecast how many mischievous should ensue his heedless hast. Wrath loves bloodshed, strife, murder, and rancor. Full many mischiefs follow cruel wrath, abhorred bloodshed, and tumultuous strife, unmanly murder an unthrifty scath. Bitter despite with rancor's rusty knife and fretting grief the enemy of life. All these and many evils more haunt ire, the swelling spleen and frenzy raging rife, the shaking palsy and St. Francis fire. Such one was wrath, the last of this ungodly tire. Following wrath, who is the last of the seven deadly sins, is Satan, riding high upon a wagon. Satan has a whip in his hand and lashes at the lazy team, especially Sloth, who was standing in the mire. The crowd cheered as Satan passed, unaware that beneath their feet lay the skulls and bones of the dead who perished because of the seven deadly sins. And after all, upon the wagon beam rode Satan with a smarting whip in hand, with which he forward lashing the lazy team so oft as sloth still in the mire did stand. Huge routs of people did about them band, shouting for joy, and still before their way a foggy mist had covered all the land, and underneath their feet all scattered lay dead skulls and bones of men whose life had gone astray. Sitting beside proud Lucifera, leading the foul parade was Duessa. The Red Cross Knight did not participate. He felt like a stranger. Yet he lingered unaware of the grave danger he was in. Yet he still did not act or try to escape. It was his inaction that caused his downfall. So forth they marched in this goodly sort to take the solace of the open air and in fresh flowering fields themselves to sport. Amongst the rest rode that false lady fair, the foul Duessa, next unto the chair of proud Lucifera, as one of the train. But that good knight would not so nigh repair himself estranged from their joyous vein, whose fellowship seemed far unfit for warlike swain. Join us next week as we follow the adventures of the Red Cross Knights. When faced with dragons and angry knights, the Red Cross Knight knew what to do, but lost in the house of pride held under the spell of the wicked witch Duessa, the Red Cross Knight appears helpless. Holiness has no place in the house of pride, yet the Red Cross Knight lingers too long, 
and heavy consequences follow. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast.